0: Amen. All right. Well, like they introduced me, my name is Austin Cooper, and I am uh, on staff at a church all the way in Weatherford, Texas, and uh, I can't tell you how much of a privilege it was to be the speaker at uh, D. Now. We saw God do some really awesome things, and uh, this whole weekend we've been talking about what it would look like to ascend a spiritual mountain, to to start uh, becoming more and more like Jesus as we climb through life together. And what we found out pretty quickly is that Jesus, he told the disciples when they asked something like this, that if you want to be on top in my kingdom, you have to be on bottom. If you want to be strong in my kingdom, you have to be weak. If you want power and authority in my kingdom, you have to become a servant to all. And so we studied how Jesus gave us the blueprint to start ascending this mountain, and that was to become like a servant, just like Jesus was. We also studied that throughout Scripture, that when people understood the commandments of Jesus, that they tried to do it in their own power, they would fall flat on their face. And so we studied how um, we know that we should be like Christ and be like a servant, but we must also trust in the Spirit of God to move in and through us to enable us to be the kind of servant that Jesus was. So we studied spirit, we studied serve, and today we are going to study sow, sowing seeds of the kingdom of God in the godless culture that is around us. My wife and I, we, uh, <clears throat> we are blessed with two boys. Uh, one's name is Ezra, he's three years old, our oldest is four years old, and his name is Judah. And uh, they both go to school on Fridays in the city of Fort Worth, which is a little bit far away from us. And so Ezra, the three-year-old, he gets out of school at 4 p.m., whereas Judah gets out of school at 12 p.m. in that same area. So if it's a nice day, a lot of times my wife and I will, uh, one of us will pick up Judah and we'll go hiking or go to a playground and try to kill that four hours that we need to before we can pick up Ezra. And so one day I picked up Judah, and I started, uh, I wanted to take him hiking, and so I said, okay, let's go to a hiking trail, and he's all excited, and right when we started hiking, he said, Daddy, I don't want to hike anymore. I want to go to a playground. So I did what any good dad would do, and I told him a dad lie. I said, you know what? I bet there's a playground right down the hiking trail. Let's just get a little further, a little further, And so we went down a little ways and still asking about the playground, and then we came to the bottom of these uh, big stones, and they were leading up to this top of the hill. And he's, like, really getting really tired, and, Daddy, I want to go find a playground. And I said, Son, there might be a playground at the top of this hill. You just don't know. I don't know. And no joke, we were climbing the hill, and when we got up there, it was like the movie Camelot. There was this big playground castle that just appeared. He's like, Daddy, Daddy, look, it's a playground. I said, Son, I wouldn't lie to you. I knew this whole time there was a playground. And so we go up to this playground, and right away, we kind of notice that something's a little bit different about the culture of this playground. Like, all the kids were quiet and composed. All the kids were just hanging out with their parents. They weren't really playing together. All the kids were eating non-GMO organic apples and reading books with their fathers and getting their hair braided by their mothers. There was a culture of quietness and calmness about this playground, none of which my child has any of. And so Judah walks into this playground where where there's already a culture of quietness and he finds a piano, like a play piano, right in the middle of the playground. And he starts just slamming on it. And he starts singing, God loves you. God loves you. God is everywhere. God loves you. And even though I am a pastor, and my wife and I, we try to tell Judah and our other son, Ezra, that no matter where you are, no matter uh, where you go, be the light of Jesus in that situation. But this time, I was like, Judah, please. Please. Just quiet down, like look around you. The culture is quiet and calm and you're screaming about Jesus like, just stop. But I didn't say that. And he kept on going and there was a man that kind of came up to the piano with the son, uh, holding his hand and Judah looks right in his eyes and he says, God loves you, God is everywhere. And the guy kind of gave him one of those sarcastic thumbs up, you know, whatever kid. Uh, but Judah didn't stop. And what started happening is is the kid that was holding that man's hand kind of looked at him and started laughing. And he goes and joins my son Judah in playing the piano. And kids all around start seeing that now kids are starting to play together and they're playing tag and they're taking their non-GMO organic apples and chunking it into the forest. And all the parents are even starting to talk together. And that lasted for the two hours that we stayed there. And so what I observed is my son coming into a predetermined culture and through his giftings and through his abilities, deciding to not just merge into the culture, but to change the culture. From a culture of quietness and basically loneliness to a culture of fun and light and laughter. And we as Christians are called to do the same exact thing. We're not called to simply merge into the godless culture of today. But we are called to intersect it. And to start changing it away from the godless culture it is. To look more and more like the culture that King Jesus wants it to look like. And today we are going to study a passage in Matthew chapter 13, where a man takes a mustard seed and he plants it into a field. And the mustard seed, although it is small, it grows large into a plant. And it actually shelters the things that are are around it. And through this passage, we're going to ask three questions. Number one, Should we as Christians sow into our godless culture or should we just stay away? Number two, what is our mustard seed? And number three, how does the kingdom of God benefit culture and everyone that is in it? So, if you guys will open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13, we will read verse 31 and 32. It says this Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And so what Jesus has been doing up to this point is traveling around and giving stories or parables to teach people what the kingdom of God is like. And in this parable, he says that a man took a mustard seed and he decided to sow it into his field. And so this begs the question, are we as Christians called to sow seeds into our godless culture, or are we called to just stay away? Man, the flu has been uh, pretty rampant this year, or just sickness in general, at least where we are in DFW. And uh, have you guys been sick either this winter or fall? Go ahead and raise your hand. I want to see who's all been sick in here. I know some of you guys are sick today, but you don't want to admit it because your neighbor would be like, What? But uh, man, we have been sick uh, quite a bit this winter and fall, and, uh, and anytime my family is sick, it always reminds me of Thanksgiving 2015. That is the Thanksgiving that we have labeled the Black pa- Plague Thanksgiving, because sickness came in and ravaged our entire family. Uh, My wife has three sisters, and they all had significant others at the time, and we were uh, all up in Justin, Texas, where her family lives, and it's a pretty large house, but there were uh, her two parents, all uh, four of the siblings, and their significant others, and a couple dogs, I think there's a parakeet and some fish, I mean, it's a full house. And what would happen is you would be talking to someone and just shooting the breeze and saying, hey, how's the weather in your neck of the woods? And all of a sudden, you'd see their eyes go, boom, and they'd sprint to the bathroom. you are like, that is strange. Then you'd be talking to someone else. Hey, did you see that the Cowboys lost again? Yada, yada, yada. And boom, they'd sprint to the bathroom. And what we started seeing is that sickness was just coming into the household and just ravaging all of us. People were getting sick left and right. And what started happening is that those people that had already been sick that were still contagious, they would walk around the house, and if you hadn't gotten sick yet, you would try to stay as far away from those people as possible. In fact, that Thanksgiving, you know, most people have the adult table and the teenage table and then like the kids table. Well, that Thanksgiving, we had the people that had already gotten sick table, the people currently getting sick table, and the people that hadn't quite gotten sick yet, but the it's coming table, right? And again, those people would try to stay as far away from the people who had already gotten sick, and if you had already been sick, you were pretty much expected to go throughout the house saying, unclean, 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 stay away. And you know, it's funny, but us as Christians in a lot of churches, we treat our godless culture and people that don't know Jesus in the same exact way. That we are more willing to just stay away from them than try to heal them. That we are more willing to stay inside the four walls of our churches, holding each other's hands and singing worship songs while the world outside of us gets more and more godless by the day. But Jesus was someone who didn't stay away from the godless culture of his day. He was someone that intersected it. He never merged into it. He never looked quite like it. But he intersected it and started sowing seeds of the kingdom of God to start changing it. We know that Jesus was a man who understood culture because all of his stories, all of his parables were based about the cultural norms of the day. We see him giving examples of fishing and farming. We see one of his favorite words to rebuke the Pharisees was the term hypocrite, what actually which actually actually came from the drama the Greek dramas of the day, meaning that someone was playing a part that they actually were not, the term hypocrite came from culture. We see that Jesus was rebuked by his enemies because he was called a friend of sinners and that 's good news for you and I. Jesus was Someone who even commissioned his disciples to not be of the world, but to be in the world. You see, Jesus primarily identified himself in what his kingdom was all about, not by what it stayed away from, but rather what it sowed into. So Jesus shows us that we are called to sow seeds into our godless culture. And so that brings us to our next question. What, sorry, what is our mustard seed? If you read verse 31 again, it says that Jesus presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. So we see that our, our seed, our tool, is the Kingdom of God and the culture that comes along with it. A culture of kindness and forgiveness, a culture of humility and servanthood. A culture that says, I will protect those that cannot protect themselves. A culture that opens up its arms and says, I don't care who you are or where you've been or what you've done, you are accepted here. The tool we use is the kingdom of God and the culture that comes with it. So where is that meant to go? Where is the culture of the kingdom of God? Where are we meant to start sowing seeds? If you drop down to verse 33, he tells them another parable. It says this, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread throughout all of it. I like to give my own parable here. It's, um, the kingdom of God is like your child's cup of water. When you sit down at a nice restaurant, it spills out and goes all over the table and all over everyone's laps and all over the napkins. The kingdom of God is not meant to be contained. It is meant to spread out into every domain of your life, at your workplace, at your in your family in your neighborhood at your school the kingdom of god is meant to permeate throughout your entire life and the domains that god has put you in i know what you might be saying austin you don't know my coworkers at my workplace they are far away from god They come back every Monday talking about how much they partied and how much they slept around. You don't know my coworkers. They are far away from God. Or you don't know my neighbors. They're always screaming at one another, screaming at their kids. They have nothing to do with Jesus, they are far away from God. Or you don't know the students in my school. All they do is gossip and bully and show hatred. You don't know these people in my school. They are far away from God. Well, I want to tell you a story in Acts chapter 17, where Paul is traveling around to different epicenters, uh, different uh, cities that are shaping culture, different godless cities and teaching people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, and teaching people about the kingdom of God. And he walks into the city of Athens, and what he sees is that the the people of the city of Athens, although they are very religious, they seem to be very far away from God, because they don't worship the one and true God. In fact, they have a God for almost everything. They have a God for the sun. They have a God for the moon. They have a God for the rain. They have a God for the fields. They have a God for time. They have a God for everything. They were so much wrapped up into paganism. They had a God that was even, or an altar that was erected for an unknown God, just in case they missed one. And Paul walks into this godless city, the city that it seems like people are far away from God. And he starts teaching them about Jesus. He starts teaching them about the kingdom of God, that Jesus loved the world so much that he came to this earth, that he lived a perfect life without sin, that he died on a cross for the entire world's sin, that he resurrected again, defeating death and defeating sin. And what he says in verse 26 is this. He says, from one man... He has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so that they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him because he is not far from any one of us. You see what Paul is saying Is those same people in your workplaces, those same people in your neighborhoods and in your schools that you say are far away from God. What Acts is telling us is they're not. And the reason is, is because you're there that these same people that seem like all they do is party and sleep around or gossip and show hatred or bully and they seem like they're far away from God, they're not because God has placed you to live by them or to work with them or to go to school with them. God has given all of us a domain so that we can start sowing seeds of the kingdom of God in that domain and watching Jesus move it from people that seem like they're far away from God and a culture that seems like it is godless and to start changing it to look more and more like the kingdom of God. 2 Corinthians chapter five says that we are new creations in Jesus. Therefore, we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And if you think of who an ambassador is and what they primarily do, they uh, represent their hometown in a different area. And so a, an ambassador from America uh, to France lives where? You guys can answer. Where do they live? France, right? They don't live in America. They live in France, representing what America is all about. And we are called to do the exact same thing, that we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And we are begging people, and we have the ministry of reconciliation, begging them to be reconciled to God. And we are ambassadors for the kingdom of God. We represent the culture of King and Jesus, but we are still called to live in the godless culture of today while we show people a different way, God's way. In verse 32 of Matthew, it says that this mustard seed that this man planted, although it was the smallest of all the seeds, When it is grown, it is taller than all the vegetables and becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. So this leads us to our third question. How does the kingdom of God benefit the godless culture that we live in? Jesus gives this parable again of this man who takes this mustard seed. He plants it into the field. And although it is small, it grows into a tree that gives protection to the animals around it. Different passages actually say say that the tree gives shade for the beasts. And so this man planted the seed, it grew up into a tree, and it started protecting everything that was around it. It benefited everyone that was around it. And in the same way, when we plant seeds of the kingdom of God, it doesn't just benefit Christians. It benefits everyone in the entire world. You know, Jesus was someone that was living in a godless culture of his day that would put ours to shame. He walked into a culture that saw children as just irritations. He walked into a culture that suppressed women. He walked into a culture that saw foreigners as good for nothing other than slavery. He walked into a culture that told sick people that they were no longer able to live in that city. He walked into a culture that dehumanized the sick. And Jesus didn't just stay away from that. Instead, he went and intersected it. He didn't merge into it, but he intersected it and started showing what his culture was, what his kingdom was all about. And so instead of seeing children as irritations, what did Jesus do? He opened up his arms and he said, let the children come to me. He started teaching that the kingdom of God should, or those of us that are in the kingdom of God should be more like children. In a culture that suppressed women, what did Jesus do? He spoke to them, which was actually shocking even to the disciples. He lifted them up. He elevated the role of womanhood and he empowered them to be ministers of reconciling the world back to himself. In a culture that said foreigners were basically good for nothing other than slavery, what does Jesus do? He uses Samaritans as an example of how the religious rulers should be more godly. In a culture that dehumanized the sick, we see Jesus reaching out and touching them and healing them and giving them back their humanity. Jesus was someone who not only sowed seeds of the culture of the kingdom of God in the godless culture, it actually, he was someone who benefited all of the people that were around him. And you know, Christians throughout history have been on the forefront of helping change culture to look more like the kingdom of God. Christians were, are, are historically on the forefront of building hospitals for the sick. Christians have been on the forefront for building orphanages for kids that do not have a home. Christians have been on the, for, uh, on the front lines of fostering children and adopting children and speaking out against abortion. Christians have actually been on the forefront of civil rights issues and even on the forefront of abolishing slavery. If you just take that subject, we see that Abraham Lincoln, he was a Christian. Martin Luther King, Jr., he was a Christian. And the man that was the leading voice of abolishing the slave trade in all of Europe, a hundred years before it was abolished here, he was a Christian. And his name was William Wilberforce. And to close out today, I'd love to just share his story. William, in his journal, writes that as a young child, he would watch the boats leave his hometown go to Africa where they were enslaving fifteen to 30,000 Africans a year. And he'd watch the boats come back in to his hometown where then they were either sold into slavery there or shipped to everywhere around the world to be sold into slavery there. And he said even as a young child, he looked at what was going on and he knew that something had to change. And in his diary, he said that even as a young child, he feels like he understood who God was, he knew who God was, but it wasn't until later when he was in politics, he was a politician, that he feels like God came upon him and he surrendered his life to God. And then he started seeing himself as an ambassador for Christ, someone who wanted to change the godless culture that was around him. And he started seeing, uh, in that day and age, what we have to understand is that the the church basically told people that if you want to do something great, if you want to do something great for the kingdom of God, you need to either be a missionary or a pastor. And so William was a little bit uh, distraught with this understanding because he was in politics. And he writes in his journal, he says, that he started worrying about the temptations at the table, The endless dinner parties, which he thought were full of vain and useless conversation. He said, they disqualify me for every useful purpose in life. They waste my time. They impair my health. They fill my mind with thoughts of resistance before and self-condemnation afterwards. William started seeing, though, after some time, his purpose that he could use his work in his work. He started seeing his domain as an area that he could start sowing seeds of the kingdom of God into the culture that he was currently living in. And he says in his journal that I started seeing my life's purpose. My walk is a public one, he wrote in his diary. My business is in the world and I must mix in the assemblies of men or quit the post which God seems to have assigned me. You see, William was someone who understood that God had put him in that situation at that day and age, in that environment to change things, to look more like the kingdom of God. William went on to be the leading voice to abolish the slave trade in all of Europe. Again, 100 years before it was abolished here in America. You see, God has given you a voice. God has given you a domain to start taking the seeds of the kingdom of God and to start sowing them into your workplaces, into your families, into your neighborhoods, into your schools, so that something can grow out of it and it will benefit the entire culture around it. Let's be a church that doesn't just stay in these four walls, but be a church that starts changing the godless culture that might be in Tyler to look more and more like the kingdom of God and its culture. If you guys will bow your heads and close your eyes. The Bible says that Jesus spoke words to a lost and dying generation. And he said, he opened up his arms and he said, come to me, any of you who are heavy burdened and I will give you rest. I think for those of us in this room that could look different, for some of you, you might have a longing in your heart and an understanding that you have never actually accepted the love love and the salvation of Jesus Christ. Maybe some of you, you have a longing in your heart now from the words that God spoke through me to get out into your families, into your domains, into your workplaces and schools, and to start making a difference. Maybe some of you realize that there is a certain sin in your life that is uh, uh, not enabling you, that's keeping you from planting seeds of the kingdom of God where you live. Maybe some of you were even given a specific friend or a specific neighbor or a specific name on your heart during the sermon today. So no matter what it is, no matter where your heart is going and how God is, it, uh, God is drawing it today, here in a second we're going to have a time of invitation. There will be some pastors up front. And again, whether you want to accept Jesus or you just have a longing in your heart to make a difference in the culture that you live in, I'm going to invite you here in a second to come pray with the pastors that are up front. So if I can have everyone stand, I'll pray and then you can come. God, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you that you love the world enough to send your one and only son. And that while we were still in our sin, while we were still yet sinners, you displayed your love to this earth by living a perfect life, by dying on a cross and by coming back to life, defeating death, defeating our sin and opening up your arms for anyone who will come and partake in your salvation. Jesus, we thank you that you did not leave us in our sin and you did not come in sin with us, yet you came and lived on this earth, in this culture, yet without sin, allowing us to follow you out of it. God, we thank you that once you save us and clean us up, you actually send us, send us right back into the world so that we can be ambassadors for your kingdom. God, if there's anyone out there today that does not know you or that just needs prayer, I pray you will give them the encouragement to come during this time. God, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can come.